churches, we have the privilege to continue to worship this morning. I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, his first letter for Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. There in our pew Bibles right there in front of you, it's on page 988, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. When I was an 18-year-old student pastor serving in a church, as I was going to school as a college student, I had the opportunity to serve under a wonderful pastor who afforded me a lot of opportunities to preach, especially in Sunday evening services. And I remember in that congregation, Briar Hill Baptist Church outside of Jackson, Mississippi, I had the privilege to preach and, and the congregation was immensely encouraging to me. My wife and I were, were dating at the time. We got married while we were serving at that church. And so many people in that congregation, uh, they treated us as, as if we were family. And, and they encouraged us. They encouraged us so, so much. And oftentimes after I would preach, there would be people, especially the people that were old enough to be my grandparents would come by after I would preach. They would pat me on the head. They wouldn't do that literally. But at times they, it was sort of figuratively what I would feel. Good sermon, little preacher, you know, that kind of thing. And, and except for one, there was one person that I just couldn't break through. There was, there was one man, Mr. Dan, I called him affectionately grumbling Dan. He would sit right in the center of the congregation. Ex-Marine, he was gruff, he was tough. He would, he would have his hand, uh, arms crossed like this, scowl upon his face. He would always get in the line after I would preach. And most often he would come up and he would ask me this, so what? So what? What does it, what does it matter? How, how does that message impact my life? So what? What am I supposed to do with that? Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He comes to the fifth chapter. And in this chapter, Paul is very clearly going to begin to answer a so what question. How then are we supposed to live in light of all that Paul has been saying in this message? If you've been following with us and we've been walking through 1 Thessalonians as a congregation here at Dawson. And so Paul's he is addressing some very heavy and important topics like the second coming of Jesus, what happens to our loved ones when they die. Now, all of those passages, they're applicable to our lives. He's been encouraging them in the midst of persecution, but some of those subjects can seem fairly far away from us. Not here. Paul's landing the plane to the letter that he's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and we're going to have 16 exhortations, 16 blessings, 16, hey, go and do this. If you're, if you're wondering what God has called you to do as a follower of Jesus, here's a litany of admonitions and exhortations that I, Paul, give you through the Lord Jesus. He's definitely going to be answering some so what questions. Here, the word of the Lord, starting in chapter 5, verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians, we ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So what? 
How are we then to live in light of what Paul has been giving us in 1 Thessalonians? Notice that Paul starts with the relationship that ministers of the gospel have to the people of God in a congregation. Notice that in verses 12 through 13, we have Paul saying, hey, respect the leaders in your midst. Verse 12 again, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, obviously, there can be two ditches on the road that Paul calls us to travel. We can get off on the side one way too far and the other way uh, too far. On one hand, this passage here would, would have us to respect our leaders, but not to exalt them, not, not to put them on a pedestal of perfection. No minister of the gospel can, can handle that type of unrealistic expectation. Every minister of the gospel has clay feet. Every minister of the gospel is a sinner saved by grace, as every one of us are. But God calls God calls people to serve in the church and, and, and to be among the people and to be over the people, to serve as ministers of the gospel. We have in Acts chapter 20, uh, Aristarchus and Sekinidas who are serving in these kind of elder roles as pastor there in the church at Thessalonica. Here at Dawson, we have a multitude of ministers We have a multitude of pastors that are here, and I serve as one of those pastors, as a senior pastor here at Dawson. And and this passage here would say, hey, don't don't put any ministers, don't put any pastors on a pedestal of perfection because the truth of the matter is is they they can't hold up to that. I I, I actually don't think that's the prevailing temptation of this moment. Uh, Maybe decades ago or certainly centuries ago that this could have been the case. I actually think we live in a cultural moment where where the opposite extreme is the temptation of the church right now. You don't have to go fishing. You don't have to go looking real hard for ministers where the the wake of the scandal has become public and there's a resignation, there's a firing, there's a difficulty. And and if you have, have your ear bent toward that, you can hear, especially in these last months and these last years, a lot of high profile examples of that. So the temptation in this moment is to look, to look with extreme skepticism at ministers of the gospel. To be sort of hypercritical, that can occur thinking that just behind the door is a scandal waiting to happen. And I just want to tell you that I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve as the pastor here at Dawson. And it's a wonderful joy to serve alongside of wonderful ministers, wonderful pastors at this church who deeply love Jesus and deeply love you, the people of God who call Dawson your church family. And I'm, I'm really encouraged by their faithfulness. I'm really encouraged by their desire to, to serve the church and be used by God. And, and you know something, without me putting words in your mouth, I think you are too. I think you are too. And so we pray for ministers. We encourage ministers. We respect, not in the sense of, of, of putting excessive adulation upon them, but we we say, God, thank you for the gift of ministers who are called to work among us. So what's the job description for this? 
Notice that Paul doesn't give us an exhaustive job description of what the ministers of the gospel are called to do here, but we have some descriptors that are helpful for us as he says, we ask you, brothers, respect those who, notice that word, labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. These three words right here are really helpful. For, for, start with the, just the phrase, labor among you. The work of the ministry is not, it's not back-breaking labor, but it is labor. And, and sometimes it's not back-breaking, but it can be heartbreaking. It, it is real work to dig into the, the, the riches of God's word and to stand before uh, the people of God and to, to deliver a message that is not being borrowed from somewhere else, but is fresh word to the people of God. And this moment, it, it takes, sometimes people ask me, how long does it take to prepare a message? And the truthful answer to that is I am 43 years old and it has taken 43 years of preparation for me to deliver this message to you. Because it is, it is a message that is born out of, of a deep well of study with the word of God. Yes, and I do that on a, on a daily basis as the pastor here at Dawson. But there's a sense in which that, that true preaching is the word of God intersecting the people of God by the spirit of God in a particular moment. Well, it's not a performance. It's not so, it, is, it is God at work in our midst meeting us and encouraging us. That, that's what true preaching is. And so there's a sense in which the answer to that question is, I mean, it takes me hours of preparation in every week, but it really is a, a lifetime. And any minister who studies to show themselves approved by God, rightly handling the word of truth, knows what I'm talking about. There's a sense in which that's not just what a minister does, preaching the word, but counseling, visiting the sick and the discouraged to be able to be a person of prayer and instruction. But we could just go down this long list of the high privilege of God's calling upon the minister of the gospel. And what Paul says in this moment here, he says, respect the leaders in your midst. Notice that there's a, a word in this passage, I think it's a helpful word to just draw out here. He says that they labor among you and they're over you in the Lord. That, that can make us a little bit hesitant. I mean, what is that? Among us and over us? And we have, to, we have to agree with everything that they say? And the answer to that is, of course not. Notice that Paul says, among you and over you. There is a role of the minister of the gospel to be a leader for a congregation. There's no denying that. But that leadership is always in the image of our Savior whose posture is one on his knees, washing the disciples' feet. There, there is to be a posture of humility, not as a, as a minister of the gospel hoarding. It doesn't mean that, that everything I say by any stretch of the imagination, and you know this as a people of God here at Dawson, you know that everything that I say from here, I hope is rooted in the word of God. But there are times where you say, you know something, maybe he misspoke or maybe I misunderstood or maybe I just disagree with that part of what he was saying in there. And that's one of the wonderful joys about being a, a part of the family of God is that we, we sit under the word of God and the spirit of God and is the chief shepherd God calls under shepherds and I'm, I'm one of you. This is what Paul says here. Respect those who labor among you. 
I'm a sinner just as you are. At the age of 16, I, I was running home. The way it worked when I was growing up is I would run to football practice. And then I would run home from football practice. Yeah, it was, I don't know who said that. It was, it was, hey, it was a long run right there. Somebody said, whoa, you know, I don't know what that was. And, and so I was running and I was 16 years old and I had a football coach who was deeply influential in my life. So if you would have, if you would have caught me at 16 and said, David, what, what do you think you're going to do with your life? I would have said, I want to be Coach Stegall. I want to be a Christian coach who influences young men like he influenced me. And I was running, and I, I, I heard no voice. There was no voice like Charles, uh, uh, Charleston Heston from the sky. I saw nothing in the clouds. But as I was running, I just stopped running. And I had this undeniable sense that God was calling me to do, and this isn't going to make a lot of sense to you, but I'll explain it. In that moment, I stopped, and, and, and it was as if I had this undeniable impression that I was supposed to do what Harvey does. And Harvey was my student pastor. He was my youth minister. He was like a father to me. And I was running, and I was going to be Coach Stegall. And then I, I stopped and then I started running again and it was just that clear to me. And I think every minister, while their stories change and they're different, there is some place that God has, has, has gripped their hearts in such a way that you just can't do anything other than what God has called you to do in the church and through the church to serve among and to serve over those that God has called us to by admonishing them. Uh, that word admonish is an interesting word because it, it's a strong word. It's not just teaching. There's a word in the original language in the New Testament for teaching. There's a word for preaching in the original language in the New Testament. This is a distinct word. It means to warn. It means to reprove. Even in the strongest way, it means to discipline. And I tell you that because as a minister of the gospel, there is a calling upon my life and every minister to not just say what we think wants to be heard, but to say what needs to be said, bound by the word of God. And the word of God at times, it can be a sharp word. It can be a sharp word to me and a sharp word to you. There are times where we're walking in a direction and we need to hear a word that we are not looking to hear, nor do we want to hear, but from the word of God in the context of worship empowered by the spirit of God, it is a word that corrects us. It's a word that challenges us. It's a word that grips us. And we need people in our lives that will tell us difficult things. I particularly don't enjoy that as a minister. But I have to do that as a minister because there is a higher calling than my enjoyment. There's a higher calling than just standing before you and saying, hey, what are, what are 30 minutes that I can give you that is going to be the most pleasant thing that you possibly can hear? And that's just not my job description. And again, my job description is found here in the word of God. And a part of that is the admonishment of the people of God. And so there are times where we're going in a direction and the word of God, it cuts us and it pierces us. 
And it draws us back to him. And what a privilege it is. And notice in this passage here, esteem the very highly in love because of the work. Me peace among yourselves. This is a beautiful aspect that, that when a congregation is praying for their ministers and supporting their ministers and the ministers are among the people, as they're leading the people, there can just be a beautiful unity. There, there's no denying that their church splits and there's difficulty because there's no church in the Garden of Eden. But one of the beautiful joys of the Christian ministry is to be with people that you really love. And one of the things that Dawson has been blessed with, and I know we have a lot of guests that are here. This is sort of a church-specific, at least this part is. And so, so I know you're hearing into this, but some of you that are longtime members at Dawson, you know this is true. I mean, just think about how many people have served in this church and sit in the pews after retirement. Who don't leave and say, how far can I get away from this church as quickly as I can? but are active members after they've moved from ministerial service and they're still serving, they still love this church. There's, there's so many examples of that, which is a wonderful outgrowth of what Paul is saying in this passage, that there can be this peace among yourselves. That's something that we should cherish. We should never take it for granted, church. It is a precious gift by the Spirit of God and it is, it is tenuous. There's no denying this. But it is a witness. It is a witness to the larger community. There's so much dissension. There's so much division. There's so many people at odds with one another. To be in a church that cherishes the unity of the body of Christ is a wonderful gift. And it's a gift not just to this church, but it's a gift to this community. It's a gift to the state and beyond. It is a peace that in many ways passes all understanding. Does this mean that everybody that goes to Dawson agrees on everything? The answer to that is of course not. Does this mean that everyone sees exactly the same way about everything? And the answer to that is of course not. But there's something far greater that unites us, and that is a love for God and a love for one another. So Paul, as he gets down to the brass tacks of what it means to live out the Christian faith. He starts in the church by saying, respect the leaders in your midst. But he doesn't stop there. He also says, show compassion for those that are struggling in your midst. That's the broader umbrella of these exhortations that start in verse 14. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I mean, Paul is landing the plane that we know as 1 Thessalonians, and he's saying, what have I forgotten to say? And one after the other, he's given us these admonitions and these exhortations here. And there's a specific word that he starts with. I want you to just compare verse 12 to verse 14. Do you see it there in your copy of God's word? In verse 12, he says, we ask you brothers to respect those. Then he gets to verse 14 and he says, we urge you brothers. Well, we urge you to do what? Well, he starts with admonish the idol. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's the second letter that he writes to the church at Thessalonica. He, he moves from urging to commanding them. Now notice what he says. You see it on the screen here. Chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers. 
In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Something's going on here that was vitally important to the Apostle Paul and it's lost to us exactly, but they are men and women that have stopped working in the church at Thessalonica and they're waiting upon Jesus to come. There might have been such a great fervency for what Paul is talking about, that Jesus is going to come in his second coming, that you would have men and women that say, hey, we can just hang up our work hat and we can just wait for him. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Admonish the idol. There is a good gift and that good gift is work. Work is not a bad thing that is a result of the fall. You go back to Genesis 1, you go back to Genesis 2. Before the fall, before the serpent comes into the garden, what were Adam and Eve doing in the garden? They were working. They were tending to the garden. They They had responsibility. Adam does to name all of the animals here. So God is already delegating parts of creation to Adam. Work is not something that comes to us after the fall. It doesn't come to us after Satan intersects this world. Work is good. It brings about joy. It brings about fulfillment. It enables you, your work. Just think about this for a second. Even if you're retired here, your work enables you to support yourself individually or maybe you and your family. It enables you to bless others by being generous. Our work is a gift. And so when Paul says admonish the idol, there are those who are looking at work as something that is not important, as something that is not essential, and it is something that Christians don't have to do. And Paul says, no, 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 no. So maybe there's some of you here that are in a place where your work is really difficult. You don't enjoy it. You don't enjoy the people that you work with. And maybe Paul is inviting you instead of doing the least that you can do in the workplace. Paul is saying, hold on now. Remember that you have a human boss, but you have an eternal boss. And and your annual job review is important, no doubt. But ultimately, we're all going to give an account for, for how we spend our time. And the vast majority of the time that we have is in our work. And what we do with the time that God has entrusted to us and what we give ourselves to. And so Paul would say, hey, don't be idle. Don't be lazy. Give your best. That's not where he stops with this passage because some of you are here and it's not just a word for us outside of the church and our employment, but there's a sense in which Paul's word might be a word to us here in the church. Admonish the idol. Dawson has a wonderful testimony and heritage of faithful servants of God who volunteer in a variety of ways. And I think it's fitting for us to talk about this at DMA. How encouraged were you this morning to see these students using their gifts, to to see men and women in the orchestra using their gifts and the beauty of that and to understand, hey, that just didn't happen. That took preparation. That took hard work. That took perspiration. That took hours and hours and hours and hours of honing gifts and continuing to hone gifts and to come before us and to give us this beautiful offering of worship. And so maybe we're here receiving that and we're receiving that as, as, as spectators that are not giving to God our very best in response to him giving his very best in his son and our savior Jesus. There maybe are some of you here that have become spectators 
instead of participants. And instead of serving the Lord, you're watching others serve the Lord. And so when Paul says admonish the idol, it very well may be that he's just calling you to move from the sidelines into the game. Could you imagine on a Friday night? Could you imagine yesterday going to, uh, to, to your favorite college football team and you all of a sudden look for the starting quarterback of the team that you're rooting for and you notice that he's not on the field but he's sitting in the stands? He's got his helmet on, shoulder pads on, he's dressed out ready to play, but he's in the stands. He's not on the field. And there's some of you that you, you, you're, you're dressed out. You're on the team. You're a follower of Christ. But instead of being on the field serving him, you're, you're in the stands watching others serve him. And maybe this word is just a word for you to get into the game. God has given you time. He's given you resources. He's given you gifts. And there's a myriad of ways that you can use those no matter what season of life that you're in. And so Paul says, hey, let's move from spectator mode and let's engage. And I don't know exactly what that means for you individually. But maybe it means that you leave here this morning saying, God, you have given me your best. What are ways in my workplace and what are ways in my church that I can move from being a spectator to a participant? Now, so many of you, and I know this, so many of you are serving in a variety of ways. And this isn't a guilt trip sermon here. But some of you need to hear this word as some people 2,000 years ago needed to hear this word. Now notice how Paul, he doesn't just end with that sharp word, admonish the idol, but he, but he speaks to those that are going through difficulty and going through discouragement. And he says, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Paul, exactly how would we do this? Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I, I love this section of scripture because it's just so true to life. 2,000 years ago, there were people who were discouraged who called Thessalonica their church home and the city that they lived in. There, there are people who were faint-hearted. Their, their heart was tired. There were those who were weak. And Paul says, be patient with them all. You know this, don't you? You never know what someone is facing behind the scenes. Do you know that? At work, it is really easy for us to, to lose our patience with people. It is, it is easy even at home for us to get frustrated really easy. We have coworkers in the workplace that we say, man, if they could just get their act together, they could just step up and do their work and, and, and we just never know. In the quiet of someone's heart, just the difficulty that they might be facing. Life can be difficult for people. It can be difficult for all of us. It is difficult for all of us at different times. And Paul says that the posture of the Christian to, the, to those who are discouraged, those who are weak, those who are going through a difficult time is a posture of encouragement. It is a posture to seek, how can I be an encouragement to this person and do good, not just to the people of God, but to everyone? Sometimes we make the will of God way too mysterious. 
Sometimes we, we sit back and say, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do on a Sunday afternoon. I don't know what I'm supposed to do on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Hey, I tell you, a good place to start, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You have the ability to be a gift to every person that you encounter. And I would have to think that you believe, do you know this? Do you truly believe this? That every moment that you have in your home, Every moment that you have in your school, every moment that you have in your workplace is an opportunity for you to pull people up or to pull people down. Every day that you have is an opportunity for you to build people up or to push people down. And we have that opportunity to be encouragements to people. You have a gift that is wrapped in your tone of your voice. You have a gift that is wrapped in the specific encouragement when you see someone doing something well and you don't let it just pass by, but you say, you know, I see what you've done and I'm so encouraged by that. It's not pandering to people. It's not faint praise to people. We live in a day where there's, there is an abundance of discouragement, right? There's an abundance of negativity in our world. And if there's one thing that can set Christians apart is that we change the tone of conversations when we walk in the room. That the direction of the conversation in the workplace, it gets changed because you know something that you've received, you've received this gift. There've been times in your life where you were discouraged. There are times in your life where you're faint-hearted. Every one of us know what it is to have our Savior look upon us and give us what we do not deserve, which is the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. We are indebted. We are recipients. We have a Savior who has looked upon us when we are faint-hearted, when we are discouraged, when we're going through difficulty, and he gives us his love. And so he calls us to be ambassadors of that love. He calls us to be ambassadors of that encouragement. And it might very well be this week that someone has come to your mind, even as you're sitting in these pews, and you say, you know something? You're right. I need to send that note. Do it. You're right. I need to take a little bit more time with that coworker. Do it. You're right. I, I, I've got a neighbor and I, I've noticed that that neighbor needs a little bit of help. Don't, don't, you know, don't overstep, you know, but, but do it. You know something? I've got a son. I've got a daughter. I've got a wife. I've got a husband. There's discouragement that is coming. Be a person of encouragement because we're recipients of his encouragement. So Paul, he's coming to the end of his letter, but the opportunities for us to see the so what are in abundance. So I guess the question is, so what are we going to do with what he's called us to see this morning? We will be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let us pray.